Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at mynsc.org. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. couple of weeks of uh, being God being the way maker, uh, God being the miracle worker, the promise keeper and, and the light in the darkness. And I was thinking about that light in the darkness uh, this week and it reminded me of a time several years ago when my family and I were living in uh, northern Minnesota and we lived in the extreme northern part of Minnesota for about six years. Uh, we were right on the Canadian border up there in the Northwoods and um, one day, my, my son decided that he wanted to get in on the local obsession, which is called deer hunting. It's not a sport up there. It's not a hobby. It's a religion. Everybody does it. And my son said, so we, I think I need to do that too. And, and I said, okay, right, yeah, we can do that this year. And he had been uh, in archery. He and I both uh, had gotten bows. We were shooting archery. We were in leagues. And and Josh was actually getting pretty good at it, so he wanted to take those skills out to the woods and see if he could shoot something that was actually moving. And uh, so we got permission from a guy in our church who had some some farmland uh, located next to a state forest up there. And and uh, we we got ready on one September evening. We took our bows out, got set up next to a field next to the forest, and and we sat there and waited. And sure enough, about dusk. Um, I, I was across the field. I could see where my son was, and a deer came out and started making his, its way straight towards him. I thought, here we go. And the deer got closer and closer and got within about 30 yards and started to veer off the other way. Now, 30 yards with his bow was just at the edge of maybe a little outside of, of the best range for him to shoot, but he decided to take the shot anyway, so he drew back, let the arrow fly, and the, the arrow hit, but not where he really wanted it to hit. That sweet spot right behind the front leg is where he was aiming, but because it was a little bit far away, the deer heard the bow release and it lurched forward. Instead of hitting that spot behind the front leg, he hit a spot behind the back leg. Um, in other words, he shot the deer right in the backside. <laughs> and uh, I, I from across the field, I could see the deer turn and it bolted into the woods. And, and as it was running into the woods, that tail was up waving and the arrow was sticking out here, waving goodbye at it, as it ran into the woods. And so um, I, I made my way over to my son and I was trying not to laugh at the whole situation. And, and I, I wanted to say to him, son, I told you to shoot a buck. That ends with K, not where you shot this deer. And uh, so... Surprisingly enough, we looked down and we saw that the deer actually was leaving a rather obvious blood trail. And so I thought, well, maybe we should track this deer anyway. Maybe, in spite of the fact he hit it in the wrong place, maybe he hit an artery, and the deer will find a place to lay down and die and we'll be able to find it. So we waited about 30 minutes so we wouldn't push it too far into the woods, and we started tracking the deer. By that time, though, it was dark. And, and when I say dark, it was dark. Because that night there was no moon, and there was heavy, heavy cloud cover. And in fact, when we started tracking the deer, uh, it had started raining a little bit. 
And so it was really dark. And so we made sure that, now, now as I tell this story, you're going to discover we were like the worst hunters in all of Minnesota. Okay, we, we had no experience. We were novices at this thing, but I did know to take trail markers. And so every few yards, we, I, I tied a little piece of, of blaze orange cloth to a branch or something so we could mark our trail. But the, the more we tracked the deer, the harder it started to rain. And it rained harder and so forth. After, after about 45 minutes of tracking this deer, we, we lost the blood trail. We couldn't see it anymore. And so we, we went a little further. And then when we finally determined that we had to give up, we weren't going to find the deer. So we said, you know, let's, let's go back. Let's turn around, go back to the truck and call it a night. And uh, so we started making our way back. And after about the third trail marker, we couldn't find a fourth one. And uh, we looked and looked and looked and for for some reason, we couldn't see any more of those trail markers. And uh, so my son said, how are we going to get out of here? <laughs> and he said, which way is the truck, Dad? <laughs> and I had to honestly say, I have no idea. Because of the way we had tracked the deer, we, we were totally turned around. We were completely disoriented. We had no idea which way was north, south, east, or west. And the brilliant hunters that we were, we didn't take a compass. We had one flashlight. And at that moment, I was starting to wonder, when was the last time I changed the batteries in this flashlight? And uh, we were in the a dark forest where it's common to see black bear, timber wolves, and deer. And so I could sense my, my son's nervousness in that situation. And he said, Dad, what are we going to do? And I just said, well, just, just wait a minute. Let's just stay right here where we are. Let's think this thing through. And I have no idea why, but then I, I told him, I said, son, turn the flashlight off. And he turned it off. And once again, it was so dark. You, could not, you literally could not see your hand in front of your face. And he says, what are we doing? I said, just wait a minute. Just, just let's just stand here. And he kept saying, well, should I turn the flashlight back on? No, we'll just wait a minute. And so I stood there in the darkness, and I kind of made a slow turn around when suddenly I saw through the trees a light. And I pulled my son over, and I said, do you see it? See that light through the trees? I think that's the owner of the land's dust-to-dawn light at the end of his driveway. So there's our bearing. So I said, Josh, you take the flashlight, you go towards that light through the trees and take about 20 paces. And when you can fix on the light, when you can see it really well, you stop and you keep looking at that light. And then you shine the flashlight back at me and I'll catch up with you. And so we did that. And when I got to him, we did it again. He went about 20 paces forward to the light. He stopped when he could see it and we wouldn't lose sight of it. He flashed the light back at me. I made my way up to him. And we did that over and over and over again. And until that light led us out of the darkness to a pasture, which then led us to a road, which then led us back to our truck. Now, that story is really a, a, a great picture of 
who God was as the light in the darkness of the Exodus account. He was literally the light that led his people out of the darkness. He literally manifested himself as a pillar of fire in the dark of night so that they knew which direction to go, so that they knew how to get out of the bondage of Egypt into God's light and where God wanted them. And so in turn, that account is a perfect picture of salvation. It's a perfect picture of God delivering us out of the darkness of Satan's kingdom, out of the darkness of sin, out of the darkness of our own, our, our own fleshly habits into the light of who he is. And so God decided to take us out of darkness by bringing a rescuer whose name was Jesus, whose very name means the rescuer, the deliverer, the savior, and he saved us from our sins. And he then became the light of the world. And that's what Jesus actually said in John chapter 8 and verse 12. Jesus spoke again to the people saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus made a promise. Whoever follows me will never, ever walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the question is, why are there times in our lives? Why are there sometimes seasons in our life when we find ourselves in dark places? And I'm not talking about a literally dark place in the middle of the woods someplace. I'm talking about that, those dark places of disillusionment, those dark places of doubt, those dark places of being disgruntled at times with what we think or, or, or think God is or is not doing in our lives. Those times when, when we just don't get it and we, we kind of spiral down into that emotional and spiritual darkness and sometimes depression and sometimes despair. I want to assure you this morning that I'm not speaking here out of theory. I'm, I'm talking about this because I've been there. Almost seven years ago now, uh, you know, we, we were talking about a couple of weeks ago how, how God took his people and said, I want you to make a sharp right-hand turn. I want you to go off-road to a place you never expect, to a place that, has, that makes absolutely no sense in your life. I want you to follow my direction in spite of the fact that it's not the way that you think it should go. And about almost seven years ago, God allowed me to have to take a right-hand turn that it was literally overnight. My, my life took a direction that I never expected. My life took a direction that I never asked for. I never wanted. And it, it was so fast, I kind of got spiritual whiplash. I'm not going to share the details of what happened because, oh, by the way, on September 25th, we are doing another encounter. And I want to encourage you to save the date. Uh, encounter is a weekend where, where God really does take us out of some dark places in our lives. And it's powerful. It's not because Deb and I are part of the leadership of that. It's because God just shows up and does that. So save the date, September 25th. Right here in this room, it's going to happen. But that day, Deb's going to share the details of this story of what happened when I got into that dark place. And that was not a dark place for a few days. That was not even for a few months. For me, it was like three years. 
I was in that dark place that I had never been in before in my life. So how do we explain that? If Jesus promises that when we follow him, we'll never walk in darkness, what do we do when we find ourselves in darkness? And what happened? Well, if we look at the verse, the key word there is follow. As long as we are following him, as long as we've got our eyes fixed on that light that can lead us out of the darkness, then he will do But sometimes we have the tendency to take our eyes off of him. Sometimes that sharp right hand turn will, will cause us to flinch, will cause us to divert our eyes, to, will cause us to look at the circumstances of the right hand turn, and we, we lose sight of the light. And we end up wandering around in the wilderness. And uh, sometimes we don't know how to get back to where we need to be. So how do we, how do we get out of that darkness if, if Jesus is, is really the light? Uh, it, it's, a, it's really a, a breakdown in this following thing. As the Apostle John put it in 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. John said, God is that light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim, now here's the, here's the key here, claiming that we have fellowship him with, with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not live by the truth. If we say, I'm following him, but I'm really kind of in this dark place, wandering around, second-guessing what God is doing, wondering why this the whole thing happened, and getting that disgruntled feeling in my, in my life. If I say I'm following him, but that fellowship is then broken, I'm deceiving myself, and I need to wake up and say, hey, I'm lost. I'm in a dark place. I need to get out of here. God, how do I get out of this thing? How do I get out of this funk? What do we do to fix it? Well, I want us this morning to go back to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 15, and uh, notice the situation that the children of Israel, this is describing a dark place in their journey with God to where God wanted them. And they weren't in literally a dark place, but it was a spiritual darkness. It was an emotional darkness. Let's start in uh, verse 22. And it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. That's, that's important to note. They'd just been through this amazing experience with God. And they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. In the Hebrew language, Mara literally means bitter. And by the way, this morning we're going to visit some of those Hebrew words and, and, and explain what they mean because this whole passage of Scripture is, is absolutely filled with wordplay. We don't get that in the English. It was there in the Hebrew. God was taking words that, uh, and he, he, he kind of would do wordplay, and he would kind of do word pictures, and we need to see that. The word Mara meant bitter. So the people grumbled. There's another word we need to understand. They grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? The word grumbled literally means to camp 
over or stay the night. This whole water issue caused the people to camp out and spend the night. They were in a dark place where they couldn't understand and they, they, they were questioning God and God's leader about this whole situation. And from their doubt and their disillusionment, their darkness and God's response, he gives us three ways to know him as the light in the, in, in the darkness. Three ways to follow him out of the darkness into his, his light, back into fellowship with him, back into following him, back to keeping our eyes on him as the light of the world, which is basically point number one. Way number one, to know him as the light in the darkness. Number one, redirect your focus. Redirect your focus. You're looking at the wrong things. Attention affects attitude. When did Israel's attitude change? I mean, they had they almost flipped in just three days. They went from this wonderful praising God who's so great and so marvelous to all of a sudden grumbling and complaining and in a dark place. When did their, when did their attitude change? When their attention shifted from the light to other things which are things that we need to avoid. So if we're going to get out of this darkness, we've got to redirect our focus from a pragmatic perspective. A pragmatic perspective is focusing on the immediate, focusing on what's happening right now, focusing on what is at hand or in hand right now, focusing on our immediate feelings, our immediate desires stemming from immediate needs. The people of Israel, their perspective anyway, said, we have an immediate need. What was their need? Their need was for water. We're in a desert. We've got to have water. And it's interesting that they didn't complain until they found water. And they discovered that this water was, they called it bitter. We're going to see what that means here in, in just a few, few moments. But, but, but this water, they, could, they couldn't drink this water. And suddenly, when it, because their perspective, we need water, we found water, but we can't drink this water, so now what are we going to do? Their whole focus changed. And now all they were thinking about was their thirst and their immediate need for satisfaction, which shifted their attention and changed their priorities, and they became more concerned about the physical thirst that they had, physical desire that they had, rather than the spiritual desire that they had had previously. Even though they had just come off of that spiritual high of the whole Red Sea event. In fact, if we, if we went back to uh, chapter 15, we would just see this song of praise that they sang. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. He is my God and I will praise him. Uh, who among the gods is like you, O Lord? You, uh, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory? And they just go on and on and on praising God in the spiritual high. And then... Three days later, their eyes are off of that and their eyes are on to what they think they need. The minute their physical needs arose, or at least the perception of such, they were ready to kill 
to get their physical needs met. Why, why did they change so fast? Because they were like us. We still have to deal as, as spiritual as we might be, as close as we might be following the light of the world. We still deal with this thing called the flesh. We still have this, these, these sin natures within us. And, and Romans chapter eight says that there's this battle that's going on all the time between the spirit of God and our sin natures and our sin natures always want immediate gratification. Always. Our sin natures are always pragmatic. They always want the desires met now. They never want to wait. And that's what the children of Israel were wrestling with. And that's what we wrestle with. And that's why we always need to check our focus by asking some hard questions like, am I more concerned about my physical needs and my physical desires than I am about my spiritual ones? That's probably really not a great question to ask because that's, that one's easy to, to just kind of flippantly say, well, sure I am. I'm a Christian. I'm more concerned about this, my spiritual needs than my physical needs. So let me, let me rephrase that in a little more uh, biting way, I guess. Do the things that keep us from skipping spiritual food and spiritual water also keep us from skipping physical food and physical water? That's a harder question to answer. Does the thing that keeps me from getting into God's word and hearing God speak to me and, and, and diving in there and studying it, does the thing that keeps me from doing that keep me from a hamburger? Does the thing that keeps me from, from taking time out of my day and really bowing before God and, and talking to him and offering myself to him in that spiritual act of prayer and that communication, that fellowship with God, is the thing that keep me, keeps me from that, keep me from, from the, 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 the physical water that I, I get thirsty and I, I need many times a day. And if we're honest... It's much easier for us to skip that spiritual food and water than to skip physical. And, and, and maybe you're saying, well, that, come on, that's, that's not really realistic. That's not fair. Because, you know, if we don't have physical food and water, we'll die. We have to have that to live. Exactly. And that was Jesus' point in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Jesus said, blessed or literally joyfully fulfilled or content, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. By the way, this is not self-righteousness. This is God's righteousness. This is God's way of doing things. That's why we could, we could substitute that phrase for righteousness. Those who hunger and thirst for God's ways of doing things, for they will be filled. King David put it in a similar way when he was, by the way, literally in a, a desert. He was, 
He was a, a fugitive. He was running away from those who would kill him. And he was in a desert where there was no physical water. And David wrote these words when he was in that situation. Oh God, Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David was saying, man, I'm thirsty. But what I, what I wouldn't give for, for a cold glass of water right now. And it dawned on David, that's how I need to crave and desire God. I need to thirst for him more than I thirst for physical water. And so the question is valid. So how do we get, get away from that? Second thing we need to avoid. We need to avoid a problem focus. A problem focus. Let's go back to that word grumbled. We already noted that it literally means to dwell or to camp at or to stay the night, which was implying that the people of Israel were camped out on their problem. They were, that's all they were thinking about over and over. What are we going to drink? What are we going to drink? We don't have any water. Where are we going to find water? We've been three days in the desert. We haven't found water. We can't drink this water. What are we going to drink? Moses, what are we going to drink? What are we going to do? And so over and over and over, they were so camped out on the problem, they couldn't see anything else. They had a problem focus. You know, the more we dwell on a problem, the bigger it gets, right? It gets out of proportion. And that's especially true at night. Anybody else like me, you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you've got an issue at work or an issue in life. It's something that needs to be solved. And you start thinking about it in the, in the darkness of the night. It always gets bigger, right? And they were in that dark place and it was getting, getting bigger and bigger to the point where it got bigger than God, which led them to be so totally dissatisfied and they overreacted and they panicked. No wonder God said over and over, do not worry. Worry is just negative meditation. It's just meditating on a problem over and over and over and over again. And God said, don't do that because it'll keep taking you into a darker and darker place. But that's really easy when we have a people focus. That's the third thing we need to avoid. And I'm not talking people focus in a ministry sense or in a serving sense or in a preferring others over us sense, but in an expectation to meet my need and solve all my problem sense. Because that's what the Israelites again started doing. Verse 24, once again. So the people grumbled not against God at this point. They grumbled against who? Against Moses. Well, Moses, you're the leader. Well, Moses, you're the guy in charge. You're the guy with the magical stick. You're the guy that's got all this connection with God. Moses, why, is it, why do we have this problem? They had a people focus. They expected Moses to solve all of their problems. And even though I'm sure Moses wanted to solve all their problems, Moses couldn't. That, that was something that his father-in-law reminded him down the road a ways. Moses, you can't solve all these people's problems. I know you want to. You're trying to. You're doing your best. You're staying up all night long and all day long, and you're trying to solve all their problems. And they want you to solve all their problems, but you can't. You're a man. You're a human being. And so is Pastor Justin. 
and so is Josh, and so is Evan, and so is Stephanie, and so is your spouse, and so is your best friend, and none of those people can solve all your problems and meet all your needs. So what's the solution? Verse 25. (laughs) Moses had the solution. Moses cried out to the Lord. The people had their eyes on Moses. Moses turned his eyes on God. He redirected his focus right back to God. Because God is the one who can solve our problems. And in fact, in this passage, God tells us how he can solve our our problems. Verse 25 continues to say, And the Lord showed Moses a piece of wood, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law. And he tested them. There's another one of those tests that, that, that... caused them to, to grow stronger. And he, and he tested them. And he said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and you do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep his decrees, I will not bring, bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your God. And once again, we need to see that what God was doing was a play on words here. Again, here's the word bitter. The waters were bitter. Bitter literally means filled with anger and resentment. And so when you apply that to to water, you're saying that the water is toxic due to being stagnant and filled with parasites and bacteria that cause disease and death. But when you apply that word to people, you are saying uh, people are toxic due to being stagnant. Remember, they, they grumbled, they camped out, they were staying the night, they weren't moving forward, and they were filled with the parasite of anger and, and resentment that was going to cause them disease and death. What God was basically saying is, I can heal the bitter water. That's no problem for me. I can just pick up a piece of wood, throw it in the water. It can be sweet. I can do it any way I want to. I can heal the bitter water, but I need to and want to heal your bitter spirit. That's the thing that needs to be healed more than the water. This really isn't about water. It's about your heart. Your toxic spirit that needs to be healed. So how can we do that? How does God do that? Let's go to the second thing that we need to to change here. We need to reignite our fervency. Let's go back to, to verse 26. Look at the emphasis on fervency that God was talking about. It says, he said, if you listen carefully... It means, give me your rapt attention. Don't just listen to the surface of my words. Don't just give me one of those, "Uh uh-huh. No, listen to every word carefully. And do diligently what is right in his eyes. If you pay careful, close attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees I will not bring on the diseases that I brought into Egypt for I am the Lord who heals you. And this was about fervency because this was about a relationship. You know, in our relationship with other people, 
We don't want fickle, hot, cold commitment that's dictated by feelings and moods and circumstances or conditional love. We don't want our spouse to say, well, you know, I'm just not feeling it today. I don't really think I love you today because circumstances were different than they were yesterday. You know, God doesn't want that kind of relationship either. God wants that first love, fervency. So I told the church at Ephesus in the book of the Revelation, you've lost your first love. You've got to get back to the honeymoon. Remember the honeymoon? Man, everything was just wonderful. It was all fantastic, and you paid such close attention to each other. But now you're just going through the motions. That's the kind of relationship God wants. He, he wants us to reignite that fervency. But it gets extinguished by inconsistent conditional commitment that focuses on, well, God, what have you done for me lately kind of thing. You know, that's when the marriage relationship starts falling apart. Instead of focusing on what I can do for you, how I can serve you, how I can meet your needs, we start saying, well, what have you done for me? And how have you made me feel good lately? And that's what the children of Israel were doing. God, what have you done for me lately? But God says, get back to that first honeymoon, selfless, unconditional love for me. And I will take care of you. I will take care of your needs. I will take care of your problems. Not because you complained, that's not why God healed the waters of Mara, by the way. And by the way, does it, ever, does it ever say that they took a drink of it? I don't think they ever did. But God didn't heal those because they complained. He healed them because he wanted to show them something more important. He didn't take care of their problems because they needed Mara to drink. They didn't need it to drink, which we're going to see in a moment. But he did it because he loved them. And he said, I will take care of you, but you need to trust me. You just need to trust the light. Which brings us to our third action point. Reinforce your faith. Trust in the good, good father again. Trust in the light and where it's taking you that it is good. Trust that God knows what he's doing. Get back to that place where you have a, have a sense of awesomeness about who God is. But that gets weakened by impertinence or a lack of respect and a lack of support, which was so evident in the children of Israel because they constantly were calling God into question at every turn. Why are we going this way? Why did you take us this way? Why haven't you provided this at this time? We need this and you did that. And they were, they were, they'd become backseat drivers. They were constantly telling God where he needed to go and how he needed to turn and where he needed to park or what he needed to do. And they had that backseat driver mentality. And when we have that, when we start doubting the driver over and over again, we end up wandering in the wilderness or in the woods and going in circles. That's what... Uh, the Apostle James warned us about in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. He said, if any of you lacks 
wisdom. And I want to just pause at this word wisdom because the word wisdom literally means of the light. So significant. If any of you need some of the light of God in your life, he should ask God who gives generously to everybody. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. All of my life, I did not understand this verse. In fact, until this week. I always thought that this verse was saying that when we ask God for wisdom, we, we, we can't doubt that he's going to give us the wisdom. And that's not what it means. It says, when we ask God for wisdom, He's going to give us wisdom. He is shedding His light on our lives. But don't doubt the light. Don't doubt what God tells you when you ask Him for wisdom. Don't doubt the direction that God is taking you when that light is leading you. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind back and forth and round in circles. And he's a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. So why do we doubt where the light of his wisdom is taking us? Bottom line is we just simply get impatient. We are so impatient. We just want to get there. We want it now. That pragmatic attitude. And and we demand that God meet our needs right away. And we get impatient. Verse 27 is so filled with irony. The ideal rest stop for the people of Israel was just over the next hill. It wasn't a toxic mud hole. Notice what verse 27 says. And then, as soon as God changed the water, told them where their focus really needed to be, what their love is supposed to be like, then they came to Elim where there were 12 springs of water. There wasn't just one mud hole. There were 12 springs of fresh water, one for each tribe. There were 70 palm trees, one for each elder, and they camped there near that wonderful life-giving water. And God knew it all the time. That's where God was taking them all the time. But they were so impatient and they, so, they were so caught up in the, in the polluted water of the mud hole that they demanded that God satisfy their needs through that rather than through where God was taking them. That they, they couldn't see it. Even when they couldn't see it, God was working and God was taking and God was providing. they demanded that God satisfy them with a mud hole. And you know what? We do the same thing. When God promises to meet the very needs that he created us to have, and God created us as needy people. God created us to get hungry. God created us to get thirsty. God created us with physical desires. Why did he do that? So he could meet them. So that he could meet them his way and his timing for his reasons because he loves us. He, he meets them that way because he loves us. But we impatiently cave to the pragmatic demands of our flesh and we drink from the mud hole of instant gratification. And then we turn around and complain to God about how disappointing that was. And we keep going down further into the darkness. 
which is why James followed the words that we just read a few minutes ago in verses 6 through 8 with the words of James 1, verse 12. Blessed, fulfilled, contented is the man who perseveres. In the context of this chapter, persevering means to keep on trusting God's, God's light even when the going gets tough. Blessed is the man who perseveres trusting God's light under trial because when he has stood the test and when he has gotten stronger and closer in his walk with God, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Today, do you need to get out of a dark place? Today, you need to look for the light of the world and don't take your eyes off of him. Those dark places so quickly cause us to flinch, cause us to panic, cause us to look for a way out on our own. But we need to keep our eyes on him, follow with fervency, with unblinking and unflinching commitment and love for him no matter what. We need to trust that light completely. Our Father, we thank you so much for this reminder that you are the God that we can trust. You have our best in mind with every action that you take and every way that you lead us. You know that there are springs of water right over the hill. You can see what we cannot see, but but we so often want to be backseat drivers and tell you where you need to take us. But Father, we need to trust you because you are a good, good heavenly Father, and you are going to meet the needs that you even created inside of us so you can show us how much you love us. Father, help us today to get our focus back on you, back on the light, and to not take our eyes off of you, no matter what's going on around us, no matter how hard the trial gets. Father, help us to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, with fervency to get back to that honeymoon love for you and help us to trust you as we walk through life because we know that someday we are going to see you face to face and we are going to be so blown away by how great you are, how powerful you are, how knowing you are, how wise you are, and how loving you are that you allowed us to get to you after we spent so much time and wasted so much time in the darkness. Help us today not to waste any more time as we look at you and we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And it's in his name we pray and live. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life, and we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org slash connect. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week.